Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast, where in each episode, we tackle different aspects of popular culture, including gaming, comics, movies, and more. We talk about what works, what doesn't, and our vision of a more inclusive space for everyone. In this episode, we reflect on the cartoons of our youth in comparison to this new generation of more inclusive content. On with the podcast! Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast. So this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about cartoons, um, sort of how they've changed over time. And joining me this go-round are... Erin and Sarah. So Erin and Sarah are here as sort of my my experts who are going to sort of help me talk about and sort of understand how cartoons have changed, not just in terms of like technology, but we're also going to talk about how the the subject matter uh, from cartoons have changed since we were young. Let's be a little honest, guys. We'll sort of give a time period of what we're talking about. Um, so cartoons when we were young-ish, what, what time period are we talking about? The 80s. Mm-hmm. Ooh, the Mostly. 80s. The mo- <laughs> well, I have two years in the 80s that... Not accounted for in the 80s, but that's about it for me. Right. Well, I meant more um, yeah. the 90s might also come into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 90s do come into play a little bit. For childhood, it's primarily yeah. the 80s. And you know what? The 90s makes sense, too, because, and, and we can talk about this as well, is that, you know, when we're talking about the cartoons that we watched as, as kids, I would also argue that as part of the generation that we are is this not tendency, but almost acceptability to, and enthusiasm to watch cartoons beyond some of um, what is considered like the typical age, right? So like, we're going to talk about stuff in the 90s, 2000s, and so on, because let's be honest, how many of us actually stopped watching cartoons? Never. Yeah, never. never. Death first. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so back to the 80s. So what kind of stuff did we have um, on like sort of regular TV? Well, and in the US, let's start with that. So some of my earliest memories are, of course, the um, cartoons that were really more like advertisements for okay. uh, toys. So thinking about your He-Mans and She-Ra's, G.I. Joe, not that I was a big G.I. Joe fan. Personally, Gem, that was a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Even Strawberry Shortcake, I would argue. Uh, then there were, you know, the... Um, weird uh, foreign cartoons that they played on Nickelodeon, foreign to me, uh, cartoons that they played on Nickelodeon. Like? Oh, God. Um, that, was it something of the sun? Thinking Mysterious Cities of Gold? Or? Yes, I am thinking Mysterious Cities of Gold. Which is from where? That is from France, but I believe it's a French-Japanese joint production about Spanish exploration of... South of, it's a very weird cartoon. I remember nothing about it except being confused constantly and the intro, which is why I thought of the sun, but you're right, it's mysterious right. cities of gold. All right, so Sarah, for you, when you think of 80s cartoons, what sort of sticks out? A lot of similar things to what Erin was saying. It's hard for me to remember a lot of what I watched back then because most of the week, at least, my TV was set to PBS, so I was seeing a lot of reading Rainbow and Sesame Street when I was very young, and I think it was later on that the cartoons came in a little more, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of the similar stuff on, on Nickelodeon, too. Nickelodeon was interesting because they were, they were kind of in the habit of buying up whatever was 
out there. It was sort of this this weird time in children's television. So you got something like Mysterious Cities of Gold or Spartacus or other shows like that, which had these very weird continuing storylines that came from various places in Europe, and that was what was available and affordable for for a cable TV station aimed at kids at the time. So on public television, then public meaning like non-cable, we're talking about more of those sort of properties that Aaron was talking about, right? Like things designed to sell toys. Primarily, I think eventually you got into the Disney afternoon stuff, but that was a bit later. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's approach late 80s, early 90s, right. but right. yeah. And then like Saturday morning cartoons, mm-hmm. right? Based around various properties. So sometimes cartoons meant to sell other things. Right. Yeah. Like Atari. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we talked about this some um, in the um, She-Ra episode that we did, but around the 1980s was when deregulation of what you could do with cartoons happened, and how advertising could be done, and whether shows could be made that blatantly ad- tied into toy products. So the floodgates really opened at that point. That's why around the 80s you start to see so many shows that are based on toy properties. So what's funny, though, is that even though they were essentially just commercials, there was an attempt at a story or plot. It was typically very episodic, right? So it wasn't like those strange um, European cartoons. (laughs) Um, you You didn't have to follow anything in particular, but there were definitely stories, and in an attempt to make them uh, more palatable to parents, often some sort of little moral lesson at the end, right? Because mm-hmm. knowing is half the battle. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so they would turn to the camera and tell you something about friendship or not being a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very moralistic in right. that way. Or the or incorrect, act. I always remember the incorrect way to stop a nosebleed. Right. Oh, I've forgotten that one. Yeah. I always think of that one. Or if you take drugs, you'll die, and your mom will cry, and a cartoon character will stand on your grave and tell kids not to take drugs. Wow. If anyone's ever seen Brave Star. Well, the 80s were an interesting time. They were. They were a very interesting time. So other than that, so we're, we're talking about, let's go back to sort of this idea of, of like selling toys, right? How were these shows kind of, how are they marketed? Like, what, as a young girl growing up, right, what kind of toys would be marketed to me? Oh, boy. I mean, 100% there was an idea that you were going to have a very Barbie-esque, pretty-looking doll. They would um, have maybe gemstones featured in some fashion, possibly in a chest plate, but it could also be in uh, earrings. Maybe they'd light up. Um, And you were given certain fantasies, right? So I think about Jem as an example, and she's this rock star, and she lives this jet set life. A lot of glam, right? Mm-hmm. So much glam. In the glam. 80s. Yeah. When you think about a lot of the properties that were mm-hmm. for, for you know, and I'm doing quotation marks, like girls, right? Mm-hmm. So we're thinking, we're talking like She-Ra, Jem, other things that I remember, right? So there's Strawberry Shortcake, there's uh, Rainbow Bright, right? All of these sort of like magical girls or, you know, mm-hmm. each of one of them had, which you were saying earlier, like some sort of gimmick, right? Right, right. Strawberry Shortcake wasn't as um, 
magical sexy person that she had a smell and she was meant to be almost like um and holly hobby was another product of our time that kind of old-fashioned charm right the little mm-hmm. pinafore and the weird bonnet hat but the still the idea was right there's a guest and we're very pretty and there's a tea party maybe mm-hmm. yep a lot of characters identified by colors too which mm-hmm. It's not exclusive to girls' toys, and I think it's kind of in part to help the parents so that if somebody's looking for a Transformer and they tell their parents, I want the yellow car, that's reasonably easy to find. Similarly, if you want the doll that's red from Rainbow Bright, your parents can track it down without you necessarily having to tell them the name and then having to remember that it's red and butler. Mm-hmm. We had... We had... <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> We have forgotten uh, two very important, uh, similar pitch, I think, more toward girls, which were Care Bears and um, My Little Pony. Mm. So yep. still selling oh, toys. yes. And so now, again, maybe not that glamour woman, but instead cute and still, again, some sort of magical quality, right? Mm. A lot of rainbows and hearts and stars. Yeah, and fashion and lace and sparkles. And, like, and when I say fashion, I mean, like, yeah, you mean, like, my My Little Pony had mm-hmm. shoes. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. You could buy accessories mm-hmm. for yep. most of these. All, and little outfits and stuff. Um, now let's say, let's switch gears now and talk about sort of what was marketed towards boys. What kind of cartoons and stuff would you see for them? They would be a lot more action-based. There would be a lot more shooting of red and blue lasers. Um, really bad aim. Yes. And yes. So they robots. Right. They weren't <laughs> violent in the sense of people dying all the time, certainly. But explosions, like random background more, things. It was exploding. more adventure based. Like the the problems in a lot of the girls' cartoons would be fairly either domestic or relationships, right? Relationships, or there there wasn't. There wasn't always necessarily a villain, and if there was, they were very mild most of the time. They were just kind of trying to cause trouble or, you know, steal colors or something like that. <laughs> Back to the Rainbow Bright reference. Right, right. I was As actually thinking to... of the peculiar purple pie man of Porcupine Peak. To this day, I'm still really not sure what he was after. <laughs> I have someone I can question. ask, but <laughs> for now, it will be a mystery. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the the boys' cartoons were more like somebody was trying to take over the world stuff, and they, they would be committing theft or things like that. So Mind-controlling people. Mm-hmm. Right. It was more adventure-based. Sounds like actually more like real threats. Yes, yes. Sort of, although I would argue that the worst threats in most of those cartoons were the jokes. <laughs> um, having recently rewatched a little bit of G.I. Joe. Oh, gosh. That's wow. a, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Wow, is, y'all. is how those things age. Like, you know, in a in a world of streaming where old properties are coming back to being available. Oh, man, that's another. Like, maybe, yeah. maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, right. Um. So then that's sort of the world that we were in. Um, and then as we got older, so I want to talk a little bit about like the progression and how things changed. So for you guys, like what was the first time you remember seeing something that might've been like, Oh wow, this is different. That's a great question. I think as I got older, I would go with some of the DC animated universe, Mm -hmm. um, cartoons for sure. So Batman, the animated series. Yes. 
that is like a seminal mm-hmm. moment, I think, for a lot of us when it came to like animation and what we were watching. But I watched it a lot later than it originally came out. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think of, I think just not even specific shows, but products like Cartoon Network mm-hmm. coming into existence. Nickelodeon became less of this weird amalgam of cheap shows they had picked up and started making their own shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that those had a bit of a different look and feel. Yeah, I was watching Batman when it started coming out and Superman and then new Batman Superman Adventures and everything from from there on. So yeah, I remember that kind of kicking off things feeling a little different. It wasn't the the only one. I mean, Marvel was coming out with X-Men and Spider-Man at that point, and they were as different as Batman, especially visually, but you still had the idea of taking this material a little more seriously, um, as opposed to just, we're, we're going to take these existing characters and plug them into the formula that we have for cartoons, which is how a lot of superhero cartoons went. And, prior to that. And I will say I did watch X-Men when it was coming out and I feel like perhaps, it, granted I was a little bit older I wasn't a kid kid anymore mm-hmm. um, I was a teenager, but I will say that didn't feel as pitched towards boys watch this or girls watch this mm-hmm. it felt pretty universal um, even though it was still a lot of goofy fights and weird romantic subplots <laughs> That's a good point because it wasn't until I got older that I found, and I keep saying, like, you know, Batman the Animated Series, but X-Men absolutely were sort of those shows that was a more of a touch point between, like, like everybody watched them, right? Like, I don't know anyone in my, or at least none in my friend group, who didn't watch Batman the Animated Series. Like, that was a big deal. And I, too, I remember the plot lines taking things more seriously. It had a darker tone. The animation was amazing and so different for its time um but also i remember too and maybe you guys can help me remember sort of the first time that you ever saw this was um this idea of cartoons actually having like a story arc or some sort of continuity as opposed to just those sort of episodic things that we were talking about in the 80s are there any shows that you guys kind of remember sort of my introduction to those sort of things was actually an anime and i think anime being more regularly imported around the 90s had a big influence on that becoming more of the Norman cartoons. Mm. Um, because prior to that, you really didn't see it a lot. It did happen sometimes, but the goal of most television at that point was syndication. And part of the issue there was nobody really wanted to have a show that had to be aired in a specific order. Right. You want to be able to watch it in any order that they decide to put it up. Yeah. And Especially in terms of syndication. Right. For folks to drop in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, and anyone who knows me is probably going to be, like, scandalized. But um, continuity sort of becoming a thing that was in more American cartoons is the very reason why I've never watched Gargoyles. I have not seen Gargoyles. I've, like... I would drop in and like try to watch an episode or two and I'd be like, there's obviously stuff going on here that I just don't understand. With anime, it was easier because 
since it was harder to get your hands on, you were either going to like get a bunch of videos and watch it right. or it was going to be on like late at night on like Toonami on Adult Swim. So like I wasn't like if I was after school, like doing whatever activity, I wouldn't miss it. Um, but yeah, Gar, that is so everyone, even though you can think of it as a little bit more progressive and sort of a new way of doing cartoons, that is the reason why. And I have still not watched it. <laughs> Continuity in any TV series, animated or not, can be kind of a double-edged sword, but we're in a very good place for it right now because we have the ability to record stuff really easily off of television. We have streaming. We have, you know, TV on demand, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So, and we have, we have Netflix, and we have series dropping all at once. So we can pretty easily watch stuff that has continuity to it and not get lost. So easily. that's a, so we're making a pretty big jump now talking about sort of then versus now before mm -hmm. we sort of talk about like how things like streaming and sort of more people in our generation making cartoons. Um, is there anything from that middle period that sort of sticks out? Voice acting. Oh, I was just thinking about how those, those really old and particularly those, sort of toy-based cartoons, a lot of times you can start to notice that there are not as many voice actors <laughs> as there are characters. Right. And even though I don't want to diss the work that those folks were doing, because yeah. I think they were doing some phenomenal work for mm -hmm. their period, you know, they're also not getting paid as much as voice actors are maybe paid now. Mm -hmm. um, and you can start to hear, like, weird similarities and some... <sighs> Mostly the villains have these ludicrous voices, right? This, this like literal sneering kind of tone. Even I am, women. I'm smiling so big right now because it's it's very. I find that stuff very endearing. <laughs> but it's also limiting. Yeah. Right. It's hard to immerse yourself in a world or feel really connected to a character who is not just a literal cartoon, but this very caricature yeah. driven goony thing that never learns or changes or grows right and they're right so shows completely one note and once again i'm jumping ahead a little bit but right so back when sort of i think about cartoons from when we were kids bad guys were just bad guys because they were bad guys right yeah. <laughs> like well they had names that indicated that they were the bad right guys. but like there was no real like backstory or like reason for it right like so now a lot of times I think about it I'm like so wait a minute why like why did like Murky want to steal all the color not even that is even the name of the characters from Rainbow Bright I don't even remember why did they want to stop Rainbow Bright I don't remember other than like you know because we want people to be sad well why why like what like <laughs> Why did you do those things? Um, and I think every now and then we were like thrown a little bone, like maybe like something happened to them at some point, or I don't know. Gargamel wanted to eat Smurfs. Oh yeah, power. there we go I for or the gold. I don't remember <laughs> to live for uh, live forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we don't actually even know why Gargamel wanted to eat Smurfs. We just know that he did. Right, and that made him bad. Right. Right. Basically, you had characters having incompatible goals, but you didn't ever really look into why did these characters have these goals. Mm -hmm. Usually the good guys had the goals because if the bad guys were successful, it would be horrible for everybody else. Yep. Why the bad guys had the goals that they did, 
Because you show them new. Right. They were they were twirling their mustaches and chuckling evilly, and that was kind of it. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dare say be a little thing. I think when sort of we hit the sort of later '90s and the 2000s, um, and we started to see like DC particular those cartoons ramping up. That was when I really started to notice that there were some more complex villain stories because they were getting these villains um, who were being introduced in the cartoons, but had already these very developed backstories from years and years and years of the comics. Um, because if I had to sit here and be like, when was the first time I remember like a cartoon villain having an interesting backstory? And I'm going to actually say, um, going back to... Batman the animated series <laughs> that's what I always think about um is Clayface yeah I, I had a feeling you were going to mention well yeah because everyone knows I have this weird obsession with him but like it was one of the first times where I was like wow that is a complete interesting story that entire like like the one episode right where you get introduced to, to Clayface and eventually things don't really work out for him surprise it was like a mini movie and I was like wow this is so different. Well, and even though they were these silly villains in some cases who were who were trying to take over the world or murder everyone in Gotham or whatever their plan was, right, you did get these glimpses of sometimes their backstories were really sad. Right. And that obviously their reaction was fairly overblown. Right, like, like Mr. Freeze, like mm-hmm. totally sad, but dude. Right, get, get, get it together. Go to a grief <laughs> therapy session or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, right, so at, at a certain point, that's why they're still villains, because their reactions are uh, disproportionate to what mm-hmm. is happening to them. Mm-hmm. But you at least felt like, oh, I get how you got to here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think of sort of, right, when I, when I think about sort of my favorite cartoons as we go into, like, the 2000s, like, I often think of, like, Justice League and, like, all of those other... But I don't want to give credit just to DC. So guys, feel free to sort of point out anything else that sort of resonated for you. Well, like you said earlier, even though you were say, mentioning it because you haven't watched it, Gargoyles. I hear it's really good. <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe someday. It's available to you right now. It's on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> it is. Um, so yeah, Gargoyles had a, a lot of similar things to Batman the Animated Series going on, but without the benefit of a pre-existing mythos to draw on. So you had a lot of villains who were developed with varying motivations and they weren't all just I want to I want to do bad things because I'm the bad guy. I don't think pretty much any of them were that. You know, some of them certainly enjoyed what they were doing, some a little too much, but you you understood how they got to that point. And some were just trying to do, like, the main villain is Xanatos, and he is he is not a megalomaniacal bad guy by any sense. In any sense, he, he is more amoral than anything. He will, he will do things that are very questionable to get what he wants, and he will not, not take into account other people's needs and what they're going to, to want to do to stop him. But He's not trying to take over the world or anything either, and he he's also very smart about what he does. Then sort of time marches on, right? Mm-hmm. So what sort of started? So before we get to streaming, um, we had a period of time that I sort of think about where 
Cartoon Network would start having like blocks of time where the animated blocks were specifically meant for like adults, right? Like I think of Adult Swim as like a big moment for American audiences, like embracing the fact that like adults watch animation and that there is animation that is geared towards adults. Another example I would also dare say was Ren and Stimpy. Oh, absolutely. So wait, yeah, The Simpsons, which does not have any, well, has confusing continuity, but right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Simpsons has been on for, what, 30 years now? Mm -hmm. That was also like a big moment because The Simpsons was one of the few shows I would say that was would be the one animated show that people would watch, right? If they right. weren't really into animation, you watch The Simpsons because The Simpsons was, you know, or is, right, a, a take on sort of the typical American family sitcom. Once as I said, time continues to march on. Um, where do we sort of find ourselves now? Like, if I said to you, where are we now and how do we get here? What kind of things sort of pop up in your mind? Well, I think that... With streaming and accessible um, ways of recording television, you have a lot more shows that are not afraid to uh, revel in continuity. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's every show, but I do think there's a lot of shows that are willing to say, okay, we're going to just tell a whole big story. Mm -hmm. I also think that those creators were influenced by some of that European and Asian storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. if they grew up with those things we were talking about, it makes sense that they're going to um, provide those. And so I'm thinking right now, particularly about Avatar, The Last Airbender, and then Cora uh, as well, right? So we're say- you're saying, okay, any one of those episodes could be watched and enjoyed on their own for the most part. There's mm-hmm. occasional episodes that maybe don't make a ton of sense if you haven't watched them. But we're really telling one big story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Absolutely. So Habitat's a great example of of literally a culmination of all of the influences that we mm-hmm. were just talking about, right? Um, anime, people growing up with cartoons and like being comfortable um, making something that would appeal to more than just children. But and it's still very child friendly. Yes, it's not absolutely. Also geared directly towards adults. And mm-hmm. I do think there were some shows in that middle period you're talking about, and even now, there are a lot of shows that are animated and not meant for children absolutely so back Mm -hmm. then you know some of the stuff on adult swim right you know harvey birdman kind of thing now something Mm -hmm. like big mouth right right not for kids kids. um but absolutely avatar is one of those shows that right you could watch as a family or Mm -hmm. you could watch with like you know an older sibling and a younger sibling might want to watch it or vice versa like if i was still babysitting and avatar existed i think a lot of torturous things that I had to deal with <laughs> probably been a lot better um but what's also right it's interesting too, to talk about is sort of who was making these shows people who were growing up in the 80s are now in these positions to lead shows mm-hmm. right um or make the decision as to who is going to be leading shows because hey, people growing up in the 90s are well, that's, what I was, that's what I was gonna say so like now people who grew up in the 80s kind of have the decisions and the money to like be the producers and say hey I like what you're doing right because there's a lot of um there's a lot of like younger people um making shows that I dare say are a lot more progressive, right? So you talked a little bit about Avatar, but like what other kind of things are we seeing now that sort of fit into this category of things that are more progressive and really different and 
dare I say, exciting from um, the kind of things that we grew up with. Well, something we haven't talked about yet much is that the kind of things we grew up with tended to be very, a lot of times, white and male. Mm -hmm. Um, A little more white and female if you were talking about shows for girls, but still you would have a couple of token characters of other races. If it was a show geared towards boys, maybe you'd have one female character or like a very small percentage of them. And we are seeing a lot more diversity in both the casts of the shows and who's making the shows these days, which I find really exciting. Any examples? Sure. Um, She-Ra is, is a good example. That showcases a good amount of diversity on a lot of fronts. Certainly, LGBTQ representation is one that gets talked about a lot with some of the characters on the show, like Double Trouble, who's non-binary. Well, and more importantly, also played by a non-binary actor, Mm -hmm. right? And not all of the characters, even some who might be coded as white, not all of the actors are white. I think that's another big important step is actually not just showing representation, but actually hiring with representation in mm-hmm. mind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we would also be remiss not to mention Steven Universe as a very classic example to me of exploring themes of all the things you're talking about, about identity and belonging and who gets to be what they want to be. Mm-hmm. Now, would you argue that these shows are pushing the envelope, or do you think that they're just reflective of the world that we live in, a combination of the two? I think they're both in the sense that, yes, I think they are reflective of the actual world, but I think they're pushing the envelope in terms of we hadn't shown that for kids in quite the same way before. You know, we've been making these tiptoeing steps towards it for Mm -hmm. a really long time, But now we're finally saying, hey, not everyone lives in this sort of nuclear family unit. Or does that other weird thing comics, uh, cartoons rather do, where they don't actually acknowledge that parents are a thing that exists at all? (laughs) (laughs) Right? This is is a lot more nuanced and it's a lot more saying, okay, there are all of these different kinds of relationships and all these different kinds of people in the world and they're all going to be part of your world and it's not really even a thing we have to talk about, it just is. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've I've really noticed in a lot of modern cartoons that they aren't issue cartoons anymore. And certainly there's a place for those and you know sometimes that can work well but especially when you're talking about diversity I don't think it's necessarily the best approach and that in shows like Steven Universe and like She-Ra there just are these these characters they're there nobody's particularly commenting on it being unusual or anything like I've, I've seen people online pointing out oh even the horde knows how to call somebody by their proper pronouns and it's <laughs> it's treated as that that's not that's not a thing that you do because you know you're a good person and you're respectful that's just how it is right it's, it, it's just who they are yeah 
Yeah, that that's just fact. You know, not calling double trouble they would just be weird and nonsensical. Right, because they are they. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the end. And that's I think that's a good point, Sarah, that that before sometimes even if you did touch on these things, it was a very special episode, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a big deal that we're going to present um maybe uh for example some sort of uh characters who are maybe you know gay or queer in some way and they wouldn't actually kiss and they wouldn't actually do anything interesting but they would just be there and then everyone would talk about it and then it would be over and we wouldn't talk about it and (laughs) yeah and because continuity is now a thing i think that's really helpful to having this approach to it because when you had more episodic television and it was trying to address these things you have a guest character who was you know a different race or a different sexuality or something and they'd show up that one time and then you'd never see them again so you kind of never have to to deal with that again it wouldn't really become part of the show's fabric in the way that it does now much like regular television at that time too Mm -hmm. right oh yeah very so where do you see us sort of moving to in the future? Like, are there any shows that you know about that are sort of like, you know, once again, like sort of how you see is more progressive and interesting that you're like excited to see? Or um, are there any sort of predictions or things that you would like to see more of as we sort of move into this? Like, I don't know, like everyone keeps saying we're in the golden age of television. That can include animation. Absolutely. Right. So what do you guys see? Well, I, I've been happily surprised that every time I think either Steven Universe or She-Ra is kind of done with what they're doing, they keep doing something else to sort of push the envelope and be more inclusive and add more representation into the show. Because that that isn't a given. Going back a little bit to your earlier question, while I do think it's reflective of of the way the world is, it's it's a lot more common than it used to be to see more different kinds of people in animated shows, but it's it's not it's not such the norm that people don't have to fight for it. And I think that's important to realize. Like Rebecca Sugar still had to fight for a lot of the stuff that we see on Steven Universe, like Ruby and Sapphire as a couple and all kinds of of representation and you know them getting married in right the show. well that's just and, it it's also not just yeah. a winking nod or like we, right they're friends they're really good friends but we all secretly know mm-hmm. that they're more than friends it's just said and it, it just is and i think that's i agree i think that there's something to be said for one that these shows are just continuously showcasing all of the folks that are in the world but two, good writing mm-hmm. <laughs> is really important, both because it lets those folks just exist and be, and yet you're still telling a compelling story, right? We're not watching it because we're looking for some sort of voyeuristic look into something that, you know, your typical middle America person doesn't understand, right? We're watching it because the show is good yeah, <laughs> and we care about what's happening. I also think that the more we're getting folks, again, who are in those identities telling the stories, the more we're, we're getting into some, some deeper issues. And so one show that, that we're not really talking about because it's not a kid's show, but I think about um, 
to them birdie which was wonderful and we only got our one season i know but it did a really good job of of looking at what it meant to be a woman mm-hmm. right um and that's an identity that has been acknowledged for a long time but it was the first time i felt like i saw a cartoon talking about some very real struggles that either I or other women I know have been through. Right. Um, and to clarify, we're talking about adult women. Yes, right? adult women. That is, again, not a show for children. So right. I felt a little bad bringing it up. But I think either way, whether you're making a show that is not for kids or a show that is meant to be enjoyed by the entire family, we're just telling more stories that have always existed, but we're letting people tell stories about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm also going to sort of throw out here, what I also think has changed is the money, Mm. right? They're really great stories. If you're into the history of animation about sort of how different styles of animation ended up happening because there were cost saving methods, right? Um, That terrible period where I guess they just had the mouths moving, right? Or like, if you go and back, watch some of the eighties cartoons and only like their head moves, but the rest of them stay still because it was cheaper. There's a lot of art recycling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Nowadays, you know, it's been determined that because the audience is so much bigger now for animated things, I would argue that, you know, they're really putting a lot of money behind it. Some of the, and like, I'm going to use Avatar as an example because that show is beautiful. It's really called to... Do you know what I mean? Like, the art is just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and the voice acting is insane. They spent money on people who are really, really talented from, like, the writers and onward, right? Mm-hmm. Writers, voice actors, artists, everything. And nowadays, it's actually pretty common to get to see all of these cartoons with different styles. Well, I also think you have... There's an access issue. So I'm thinking about how many shows that are out that are either so I think about like the showrunner for She-Ra Noelle Stevenson who got her start because she had a little web comic called Nimona that then got picked up and printed and then you know now here she is uh, running the show and I think the internet is another piece that it's made it's made people able to put their art out into the world so that it can be noticed. And that's no guarantee or promise, right? Right. (laughs) A lot of people are putting out art into the world and not ever getting acknowledgement, whether or not it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But it does at least give you maybe a little more of a shot than when you had to go to a studio, Mm -hmm. right? And then you had to pay for something. And so they're always looking for that, either we created this in-house and own all the rights, Mm -hmm. or the story is in... um, you know, is so old that there's no copyright on it and we can do whatever we want. You know, and your, your thing about access, accessibility actually made me think is that a lot of these shows that we're talking about are cable shows, right? Or are only available through some sort of streaming service. So we're still talking about a situation where some of these things, it's more progressive um, and things that they're spending more money on still are coming at a premium, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, as we might live in a world where we feel like everybody has Netflix. I promise you that they don't. No, that's true. Right. So that you're right. That's the dark side of all of this is it's giving more artistic freedom. But when we were watching Saturday morning cartoons, they were on regular television Mm -hmm. and you weren't paying for other than the fact that you were lucky to have a TV in your house still. Yep. Um, And for example, when I was talking about the Nickelodeon examples, we didn't have cable even in my town until I was a teenager. So that was at, you know, 
relatives' houses and things when I watch those things. But mm-hmm. but that's a really good point. Is we're making it all sound like it's now in this idyllic state, but there's this dark side of who gets to actually watch that. Right. And now, since that's a little bit of a sad turn of things, um, and we're getting towards the end of our podcast, <laughs> let's, uh, I would say we'll, we'll sort of perk this up a little bit and we can talk about maybe some series that we're looking forward to watching or that we're watching now that we sort of feel is a good representation of this sort of new cartoon that we're talking about. Does anybody have anything that they're excited to watch or, or are currently watching? Um, for me, for the things that I'm looking forward to watching is um, I've started watching Kipo and what is it, The World of the Wonder Beasts? The Age of Wonder, Age of Wonder, Wonder Beasts. I've only like I literally watched like a couple episodes on my way here, and Erin is laughing at me because I can't remember the title, um, and she was also laughing at me because I was asking for her help in understanding some of the music references. <laughs> Which has made me more interested in watching that show, for sure. Um, but I will say, like, it does, um, until a lot of the things that we were talking about, so in terms of representation, the three main characters, they are not white. They are POCs, and there is all different kinds of uh, musical genres represented, or at least in the first three episodes that I've seen, <laughs> which is why I was asking about it. And I really think that this this show is different and it's really interesting. And um, I'm having a good time watching it. But once again, this is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's another it's another DreamWorks. So it's coming from the same studio that did She-Ra. Um, so Sarah, you said that you were looking forward to some stuff. I am. Um, I I am hoping Steven Universe Future is coming back soon because I've been enjoying that immensely. I've talked about this with Aaron and other people some about how it's a little bit of a a mixed blessing in that the the ending of the regular series was so good and wrapped things up so well, but it's it's still really enjoyable to see how things are falling out afterwards and um, to be in this kind of probably we're not going to put the world in peril anymore situation, but we're going to deal with the fallout of everything that's happened to these characters and what they, they need to deal with now emotionally, which is always one of the show's strengths. And not a common I'm, thing you see in cartoons. Well, and it's literally to the, the point of, so the original series does wrap up very well. I won't even say neatly because that's not fair to it, but yeah. just it ends in a satisfying manner. Mm-hmm. And then future says, but life doesn't work that way mm-hmm. and says, okay, guess what? Everything's not per- perfect and fixed just because you took care of the big threat. Yeah. Right. right? Like, Same with the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. There um, are still repercussions for people's actions. So Aaron, I'm going to give you the last word as we sort of wrap up. Um, what are you looking forward to watching? Oh, don't do this. <laughs> because I don't have an answer. Oh no. <laughs> um, Honestly, I just don't, I don't quite know what's coming out. I will say, I'll tell you one thing that I would like to see. Okay, great. Um, because when I was talking about that stuff with web comics, so I read one called Gunner Craig Court, and they are trying to get a series made of that. Okay, so. you can't see my face right now, people who are listening, but like... <laughs> Oh, is trying to actually get that made into a series, and that would be phenomenal, I think. 
Oh man. <laughs> so, so I can't tell people that are watching it because it doesn't exist yet, but I'll put an intention into the universe that, um, that we would like to see that happen. And I'm going to boost that up. And absolutely, if you are not reading that, there are years and years for you to like. If, so if, many archives. There's so much <laughs> out there, and I promise you that it just gets better. And like, there are times where I honestly felt that it was losing me, and then it would suddenly all come together. It's great. So absolutely check that out. (laughs) On that note, I think we are done for wrap it up for this one. So thanks for joining us and we hope you listen next time. Thanks. Hi everyone, Valerie here. And on behalf of all of the ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, And if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including LadiesCon. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.